Open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Today I'd like to talk to you about glory to glory. Title of today's message, From Glory to Glory. What this chapter speaks to us about is really the, the power of God to change and transform our lives. And that's the idea of glory to glory. God is working in our lives, transforming us really, into the image of His Son, Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I still feel like I need to make some changes. I still feel like I'm not the image of Jesus just yet. I'm so thankful that I'm not who I used to be, but I can say I'm not yet who I should be. And I'm excited to know that I'm not yet who I'm going to be. God is working in our lives. And there is a process of transformation that comes to the life of the Christian. And, you know, I need change. And I assume that if you're honest in your heart, you desire that as well. And God desires to transform us from within. Not some outward conformance, but rather an inward transformation. Now let me just remind you of our context here for this chapter. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He is following up from a prior letter. You remember 1 Corinthians. A lot of corrective issues that he covered in that letter. And so now he's kind of following up and commending them in some areas, but also still having to correct some areas that need addressing within the church. Particularly, some individuals who are kind of resisting his apostolic authority in the church. Who is this Paul? Why should we be listening to him? Who gives him the right to write such a corrective letter to us? And so Paul is having to kind of reestablish that God-given authority that he has and in order that he can continue to minister to them. And he's just explained and reminded them of his sincerity. You look there, in, you're in chapter 3, but look at the last verse in chapter 2. He says this, For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Paul reminding this church, look, our hearts are sincere. We're trying to bless you with speaking truth in the sight of God. We're not looking to take advantage. We're not peddling God's word. We're really wanting to minister to you. But now we pick it up here in verse 1 of the next chapter, and you'll see that even in saying that, even reminding them of his sincerity, he's concerned that some will think he's kind of boasting and commending himself. So you see this kind of delicate balance that Paul is trying to create in the heart of the church. You know, I, I want to minister to you in the authority God has given to me, but at the same time I don't want you to think that I'm boasting or commending myself, but rather I'm just trying to walk in that which the Lord has given me. So I'm going to break our study, this chapter, into kind of two main sections. Uh, Verses 1 through 6, we'll talk about how God uses ministers to help bring that transforming change of God into our lives. And that's what Paul will talk about in the beginning, the ministry that God has given to him. And then the latter part of the chapter, verses 7 and on, he'll talk about the glory of the gospel itself. So start with me now, Look at uh, starting in verse 
verse 1, the first thing that we'll see here is Paul, in the first three verses, talking about how God uses ministers to effect change in our lives. He's going to remind them of his ministry credentials. Look with me, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles, letters of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So again, Paul asks, now, am I commending myself again just by reminding you that I'm ministering in my godly sincerity? Or do I need maybe some letter of commendation? Now, this was not unheard of in the early church. In fact, very common, there were letters of commendation sent with ministers that would go and minister to a church. Paul himself would send Timothy and others with a letter of recommendation. Listen, let this brother, he's, he's of my ministry, he can be trusted. And of course, the church wouldn't have any other way to know except getting these letters. So that's, that's a good thing, but Paul is trying to say to the church at Corinth, guys, do, do I need that kind of letter to come and minister to you, the very church that I planted, the very church that I pastored for almost two years, the very church that God used my life to actually bring most of you to the gospel? Do, do I now need a letter from you or, or for you to, to come and, and minister into your lives? Paul's saying that that doesn't seem like it would be something I I should need knowing already what God has done through my life in your midst. And he says something very interesting. He says, you are our letter of commendation. Your changed and transformed life is the evidence that God has given ministry into my life, through my life, for for your blessing. I shouldn't need anything else other than the witness of what God has done in your midst. You are our epistle, the church, your changed life. And he says you're known and read by all men. Interesting to remember that our lives are something of a letter read and known by all men. I'm sure you've heard this, you know, many will never pick up a Bible. But many will read your life, won't they? Many will watch your life, and that life becomes something of a a love letter from God to those that you connect with. They're watching our lives. They're they're looking for truth, and they want to. And we want them to see it in our life. Paul is saying, "Look, you're my letter. You're my my the evidence, the credential of my ministry is in what God has done and accomplished in your life. Written not by with ink, but written by the Spirit." God himself having written on your heart, not on tablets of stone, no doubt a reference to the Ten Commandments, the law that God gave to Moses, right? He, he wrote those commandments on stone. Paul said this is, this is a different kind of, of letter. We're not writing the law, but we're writing something of the Spirit. It's written on the tablets of your heart. It's something that is within, not an outward uh, regulation, but an inward change and reality. Your changed life is evidence of God's calling and ministry, Paul would say, of my apostleship. 
And it seems that God has called spiritual leaders, pastors, teachers, apostles, men that God has caused, raised up to minister on His behalf into the life of His church. You don't need to turn to this, but I remind you of Ephesians chapter 4. Speaking of Jesus, it says that he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying, that word means building up, of the body of Christ. God has called and gifted ministers to equip and build up believers. Paul is simply stating, look, my ministry to you is part of what God wants to bring for change and transformation. You know, for anybody that serves in ministry, any pastor, myself included, we can certainly relate to Paul's heart here. There is a sense of understanding in my heart, I believe with all my heart, that God has called me to be a pastor. But you certainly don't want to try and have to prove that to someone as much as you just want that to become evident through the ministry, through what God does as you serve in that capacity. And yet it's this fine balance. You know, you have to walk in that authority, but you don't want to be like, you know, having to demand that authority or place in someone's life. And that's kind of the delicate balance we see the Apostle Paul. Look, I'm telling you I have some sincere, but I don't want you to think I'm boasting. And, but please let me continue to minister in your life and consider the fruit in your life as the real evidence. You know, I remember when I first was um, given the, the ministry of pastor, I was uh, serving back uh, as an, in assisting role back at uh, Calvary Chapel La Mirada. And the announcement was made, you know, we're raising up uh, Richard to be Pastor Richard. And uh, it was so awkward for me, you know. I just kind of like just being Richard. And then people started calling me Pastor Richard. And I, I said, no, don't, don't call me Pastor Richard. Just call me Richard. And that, that went on for several weeks. Quit calling me Pastor. I don't, I, it was awkward to me. I don't know what it was. And then finally the senior pastor came and he said, you know... We've raised you up to be a shepherd and a pastor. Quit telling people to stop calling you a pastor. <laughs> just get over it. Accept it. This is what God has asked you to do in this place. So just, you know, it's not, it's not mandatory to be called a pastor, but it's okay if people want to just recognize that, look, that's something God's given to you. But it was very difficult, and I can remember, you know, um, even at times when I'm out, even today, you know, you're out in the neighborhood, you're getting your car worked on, you're, you know, you're going to the store. I'll, I'll have my wife miss with me sometimes and, you know, somebody, a conversation will strike up and sometimes an opportunity maybe to minister, to pray, or it just comes up kind of obvious that, you know, what do you do for a living? And I just like, oh, I don't want to say it. I don't want to tell anybody, you know. And then my wife, are you going to tell them or am I going to tell them? <laughs> Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, oh, I'm sorry about that word I let slip out just a few minutes ago. You know, it kind of changes the dynamic of the conversation a little bit. But, you know, there's this role that God gives. And Paul, appealing to the, to the heart of this people. Guys, listen, the evidence that God has given me this ministry is the fruit that you see in your own life. You know, we had, um, we had a baptism here last Sunday evening. And those are, those are just the coolest times for me. I don't, I don't know. We baptized 12, 13 people. We had a whole family together got baptized. 
really neat. But, you know, that for me is such a uh, confirming reminder that, you know what, God really is doing something here. People are getting saved. People are coming to faith in Christ. People are saying, I want to be baptized. I want to stand up and declare my faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, some of these, I've kind of walked with them from when they came to faith and how they, you know, then they got married and now they're wanting to be baptized and things going on in their family. And it's just this beautiful picture of God transforming lives right before our eyes. That's the evidence that God has called. That's the evidence that God has given ministry to someone. That's the true credential. It's the fruit of changed lives. It's not measured in quantity as much as it's measured in quality. A real transformation of heart. Only God can do that through the life of those that He calls to serve Him. So ministry credentials, Paul simply says, guys, you're my letter, you're my commendation. But he also wants to talk about where the sufficiency comes from. Look with me in verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Boy, that's a good statement to put into your heart anybody that serves anybody that wants to be even used remotely in ministry we are not sufficient of ourselves our sufficiency comes from God do you remember the prophet who said not by might not by power but by my spirit says the Lord God does not need our our assistance our help our energy our contribution And there's nothing wrong with diligence. There's nothing wrong with study. There's nothing wrong with uh, giving ourselves completely to what God would call us to do. But ultimately, ministry and real spiritual fruit can only happen when the sufficiency comes from Him. It cannot be done at a human level alone. Jesus would say that apart from me, you can do nothing. You must be connected to the Lord. Paul saying our sufficiency for ministry is not of ourselves. It is from God. He is the one that has made us sufficient as ministers. It is God that calls. It is God that equips. It is God that supplies. Paul would say that he's not even worthy to be an apostle. And yet I am what I am by the grace of God. God is the one who uses men in our lives. It's God's grace and ministry that comes to us through his ministers. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, he says this, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Ministers of God, commissioned by God to bring life-changing ministry into our hearts and lives. Ministries of the new covenant, he says, not of the letter but of the Spirit. Not ministers of rules and regulation and religion, not the old law, but rather ministering in the Spirit. Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now the the law, even the Old Testament, is a beautiful portion of God's Word, but the law alone, all it does is reveal sin. And in that sense, it condemns us to death. 
But the Spirit of God and grace in Christ and the Gospel, this brings life. The old is essential to lead us to the new. But Paul said we're ministering now in this new covenant in the Spirit. Look on with me now. We'll take a look at the latter half here. And uh, two things that I would like to point out in the glory of the gospel. So we've looked at the God using ministers. Now let's look at the glory of the gospel. And first of all, Paul will point out that this glory is a surpassing glory. And he's going to compare it to the glory of the old covenant. Look with me, verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Remember in Paul's time, there were some that would come into the church and they would teach something of a um, kind of a, a legalistic message. You know, that just that your faith in Jesus was not sufficient unless you also kept the Old Testament law. You have to be circumcised, you have to keep the feast days, you have to keep the Sabbath, you have to conform to the law uh, and add that to your Christian faith. And Paul was against that. The book of Galatians is Paul's thesis against that kind of thinking. No, God in Christ has set us free from the Old Testament law. And so he addresses some of it here. Look, the glory of the new is not to be compared to the glory of the old. Now he acknowledges there was a glory in the Old Testament. Hey, remember Moses went up and received the tablets of stone from the Lord. He was up on the mountain for 40 days. And when he came down, his face actually shone. The reflection of God's glory, having been alone with God for that time, something of God's glory, he came down like glowing, like a light bulb. And in fact, the book of Exodus tells us that. I won't read all of it, but just picking up a little bit here, it says, Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and uh, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord. So there was this actual kind of reflection of God's glory shining. So the ministry, even of the Old Testament covenant, it did come with something of God's glory. I mean, it was a beautiful thing to know that God had spoken. God had given His commandments to this people. And it came with great glory. But notice how Paul refers to it. It was the ministry of death. It was the ministry of condemnation. It was glorious and perfect, but it was only a revealer of man's sinful condition. And that sinful condition leaves us in condemnation and death. 
the word, the, the, the law was something of a diagnosis of man's condition, but it offered no treatment for healing. It was merely something that was instead to lead you to the realization that you were not right with God and that you needed a Savior, you needed mercy, you needed grace. That you were, even in your best efforts, not able to live up to the commands of God. And this glory was passing away. It was temporary. The glory on his face faded day by day. And God letting them know, even in that fading glory, look, this law is not the final glory. This is the beginning of something that will lead you to the glory that will surpass it and the glory that will never fade. The ministry of righteousness, which comes only through faith in Christ. The ministry of the Spirit. It would excel in glory and it would remain in glory. Paul wanting them to understand that this new covenant is completely different than the old. It's not outward conditions of rules. It's something glorious within of the Spirit written in the heart. It is a transforming glory. Look with me in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul talks about this veil that Moses used to cover his face. And he likens it to a veil that is still over the spiritual seeing of the Jews and the the nation of Israel, those Jewish countrymen. It's as if they look at the Old Testament and a veil is over their eyes. They're not able to see Christ in the Scriptures. Now, for those of us that have come to Christ... You know, once we turn to the Lord, the veil is removed and Christ is the removing, removes the veil. And it's like we see Jesus all over the Old Testament. I mean, we read some of those passages of Isaiah where it talks about the suffering servant and he will be bruised for our iniquities and talking about his, his crucifixion. I mean, we read that and we wonder how could anybody read that and not see Jesus? So clear, so profound. And yet Paul is saying there's a blindness. There's a spiritual blindness that even when they see what is clearly speaking of Christ, they are unable to see Him. And you know, even today, for the most part, many many of the Jewish people do not see Christ as Messiah. Now, when you have someone that comes to Christ, a Jewish convert, a Messianic Jew... I mean, it's beautiful when that happens because, wow, the old, they have such insight into so many of the Old Testament passages and they begin to see Christ everywhere. And they begin to relay that. It's a beautiful thing. But until that happens, until that veil is lifted, they are in darkness. But not only for the Jewish people, 
Truthfully, there is a certain blindness that covers the eyes of all men. The Bible says that before Christ you were in darkness. And you do not see the glory of Christ. And I had one brother uh, yesterday who was telling me, you know, he came out of a very religious kind of background, but never really came to faith in Christ. And he said, then I came to Christ. And he said, man, the Bible, it used to be like black and white old TV. Now it's high def color. It's like just coming through, you know, just a total, uh, whole new, all new spiritual eyes that the Lord has given to him. And this is what Paul is talking about, that this coming to Christ, it brings us this beautiful new uh, liberty in the spirit where we begin to see God as originally uh, planned for us in salvation. I'll quote Warren Wiersbe here. He says that law can bring us to Christ, but only grace can make us like Christ. Legalistic preachers and teachers may get their listeners to conform to some standard, but they can never transform them to be like the Son of God. No, it has to be something from within. It has to be the Spirit of God writing on the tablet of your heart. That's where real change comes. You know, many believers, they want to change. I talk to people all the time. I just, I need to change. I know I need to change. I want to change. But often when we think of change, we think of of a standard of of conforming to something. And I just got to try harder and, and do better and just, oh, just will it in. But that's not the way to affect real change. Again, you might be able to conform, but the real transforming change comes from the heart. It comes from a spiritual work of grace in your life. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit. You, you don't see trees out there. Oh, I got to got to try to make an orange you know i just it just shows up it just manifests it just you know you water it it gets nourishment the fruit appears and so it is this life in the spirit it's not this uh you know hard stressful in the flesh effort it's this beautiful relationship wherein as you grow closer to the lord these fruits just begin to to show up in your life what are the fruit what's some of the fruit love joy Peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Boy, I could use a whole lot more of all those in my life. How about you? And it comes through this work of God's grace in my life. Not through my effort of conforming to a law or to rules, but rather a relationship. How can we change? How can we really change to be more like Jesus? If that's your desire, if that's your heart... I think verse 18 is the key. Look again with me. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, it's looking at Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul says, here's how it happens. As you behold Jesus, as you see Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the the finisher of your faith. Beholding Christ. Do you want to change and become more like Christ? Behold Christ. Look on Christ. How do I do that? Where do I look? Where can I see Him? What mirror is He in? He's in His Word. 
You see God, you see Christ in the scriptures. This is what he has given to us to behold his image. How do we know about things like the cross and salvation and what Jesus did, how he manifested uh, God in, in the midst of human history? How would we know except the word of God? We weren't there. I wasn't there. You can, I can't go back to see Him and behold Him. But He has given us His Word by His Spirit. It has been written that we might behold Him. This is how we behold Jesus, through His Word. And I would simply ask you, as you study the Scriptures, the Gospels, of course, the, the direct revelation of Jesus, but in the Old Testament we see Him woven in from, from beginning to end. It is all a picture of Jesus Christ. And all of the epistles glorifying Christ. What do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see an angry and a harsh God who can barely tolerate you and stomach you and your shortcomings and failings? Is that who you see when you behold Jesus? I see Jesus as a very tender-hearted, merciful, loving, compassionate man. I see God reaching out through Jesus because Jesus was God. I think of that sinful woman who came and worshipped him at his feet and uh, washed his feet with her tears. Oh, and that religious Pharisee thinking, oh, if he only knew how sinful this woman was, he wouldn't allow him to touch him. And Jesus, of course, reading Simon the Pharisee's heart, he said, Simon, who do you think will love more, the one who is forgiven much or the one who is forgiven little? Probably the one that's forgiven much. He says, you've answered correctly. You see this woman? Her sin is great, but she's been forgiven much, and so now she loves much. You see Jesus turning this heart of a sinful woman into a heart of love and compassion, a transformation from within. Whereas the religious Pharisee, oh, he knew the rules, but not much change going on inside. What about the woman caught in adultery? They drug her before Jesus. She was caught in adultery. We caught her in the very act. We don't know where the man was. It takes two to commit adultery. He wasn't brought in front of anybody. But here's this poor woman. And Jesus said, well, you're right. You've got her. You've got her dead to rights. And he began to write some things in the sand. And then he said, now let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And they all began to leave one by one, realizing that they too were guilty sinners. You see this, that's beholding Jesus. Are you getting a picture of God when you think of these things, when you see these stories? Do you begin to see how God's heart is towards you? If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father, Jesus reaching out in mercy and grace, is He a far away, disinterested God? I see Jesus taking time one at a time. I see Jesus ministering well into the night. Tired and weary, but he kept going and healed all who were brought to him. Every single one. I see him stopping to minister to one woman with an issue of blood. I see him stopping to one leper who's crying out. I see him welcoming the children to come and be with him because such is the kingdom of God. I see a Jesus very interested in us individually. And what do you see at the cross? When you behold him there... Don't you see the ultimate love and sacrifice? Don't you see the ultimate atonement for sin, the penalty and the payment for sin being made there at the cross? We're going to take communion here in just a few moments. 
What is communion? It's beholding Jesus, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Keep me in your view. Keep my love for you in focus. Keep my sacrifice for you ever on the front of your thoughts. This has a transforming power in your life when you begin to see Jesus in clarity. Who he is, who he was, and who he is even now. He loves us. He died on the cross for us. He paid the ultimate price. He held nothing back. I see him and I behold him at the cross. I behold him at the resurrection. Raised and victorious over sin and death. Offering eternal life and evidence by his own resurrection that he can, he can make good on that promise. The Bible says that he's been raised to the right hand of God and is now seated, ever making intercession for us. Jesus is praying for me right now. He's praying for you right now. He's my high priest. He gives me access to God. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Jesus has pioneered the way. As you begin to really think on Jesus and keep Him in your heart and meditate on Christ, Paul says something is going to begin to happen from within. It, bring, it activates the Spirit of God in your life as you behold Him from glory to glory. And I'll close with just a thought on that phrase, from glory to glory. He's letting us know that it's not this all-at-once occurrence. No, it's from glory to glory. One day at a time. One trial at a time. One difficult situation to the next, wherein God is able to reveal His glory. It's a process. Who, could, who would say today, I've arrived, I've been transformed into the image of Christ, I'm finished? Of course not. Even the Apostle Paul said, brethren, I don't claim to have laid hold of this yet. But I'll tell you this, forgetting what lies behind, I'm pressing forward. Like I said earlier, you know, we're not yet who we want to be. But thank God we're not who we used to be. And thank God we're not yet what we're going to be. He who has begun a good work in you, is going to be faithful to complete it. You are all, all of us are in process. Don't get discouraged. Now don't stall. And don't go back. But don't get discouraged at the process. Because it is a process. And you know, when we think of change, oftentimes the kind of change that we would like God to perform is we want Him to change all the circumstance and everybody else in our lives. Oh God, we need change. Start with my spouse. <laughs> oh God, I need change. Bring it at my job. Oh God, I need change. Start with my bank account. I need God to change. But you know what, God? The real change that God is looking to do in our life is right here. On the tablet of your heart. And guess what? Some of those things that you wish He would change are the very things He has sent into your life to bring about the change that He wants to work in you from glory to glory. Oh, it's a beautiful thing to know that God loves us, that He's changing us, and that He's not finished with me yet. Don't stall. Don't slide back. But keep your eyes on Jesus and allow Him to faithfully complete the the good work process that He has begun. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this beautiful glory of the Gospel. 
To some, the gospel seems foolish. To some, it's a stumbling block. They just can't, they just can't get it. But Lord, to those of us that believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. It comes to us, Lord, through the ministry of shepherds and pastors and evangelists and those that would, would sow your word into our hearts. And it comes to us through this glorious work of your spirit within. And Lord, it's as I consider Jesus and fix my eyes on Jesus that these changes are allowed to continue. As our heads are bowed here, and if you'll stay with me just a moment longer in prayer, and just before we pass out our communion elements to behold Him at His table, I do want to give an opportunity, if you're here today and you need to respond to the Lord, it may be that you are here today and you do not have a personal relationship with God. You've never come to this transforming relationship with Him. And maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe you realize it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. I need Him. I want that relationship with Him. Maybe there's been a veil. Maybe it's been unclear. But today, somehow God has cleared your eyes, your sight, and you know in your heart, I need Jesus. I need that work within. I can't do it from without. I've got to be transformed and changed by God. It begins with that faith in Christ wherein you come to the cross and you allow Him to forgive you of all your sins. You recognize what He did for you there. And you receive it by faith. And in so doing, that process begins in the instant you turn to Him. Maybe you're here today and you've drifted away from the Lord. You know Him. You even had a relationship with Him. But... If you were honest today, you would say that that transforming process, that glory to glory, it halted in your life sometime in the past. Maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, you drifted away from God and you just stopped looking at Jesus. And you found your life now cold and empty and far from God. Maybe it's time to rededicate and come back and behold Him once again and afresh and anew and recommit your heart to Him. I'd love to pray for you. And I I think it would be a good prayer before we go to communion that we would have these things settled in our heart. So if you're here today and you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior and be forgiven of your sins for the very first time, or you need to rededicate and recommit your life to Him now, I would ask you to raise your hand. Let me see you and I'll pray for you. God bless you. Upstairs there in the balcony, God bless you. And you here in the very center, Lord bless you. On my right, God bless you. God bless you, ma'am, there. My left. Any others? The Lord speaking to your heart today. You want this prayer over you before we come to his table. Just a moment. Any others that would join these that have responded? Bless you, sir, as well, in the middle. Amen. Lord, speaking to your heart, he wants to transform you from glory to glory. God bless. Amen. All right, just before I pray, anyone else? 
And so, God, we thank you for these these hands, but more importantly, for these hearts. That's where the work is done, God. It's It's written by the Spirit on the tablet of our heart. And I pray that you would meet them in this moment, that you would remind them how much you love them, that you would assure them with great confidence today that as they turn to you, you will receive them. That you will forgive them as they confess their sin, as they acknowledge their need for forgiveness. Oh, Lord, the Bible says if we'll confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, Lord, cleanse them, forgive them. And I pray today that you would begin afresh and anew that work of transformation from within. They're looking to you, Jesus. They're beholding you. Oh, transform them from glory to glory into the image of what you have ultimately purposed for them in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.